Well, on last week's episode of Where We Are, we look back at the year that was this week. We look ahead to the year that is and will be 2024. You're listening to Where We Are. This is Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa, how is 2024 treating you so far? I just made your deli brownies and we just scarfed down a huge piece right before hitting record. So I'm doing great. Yeah, uh, the you decided to get up and cut brownies. So, you know, we procrastinated, uh, like, well, first of all, all week, but then really procrastinated for the last hour, finally sit down. I record the eight-second intro to this episode, and then you get up and cut brownies for like 10 minutes. I also took them out of the oven nine minutes early, and they're totally fine and definitely cooked through and a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted the brownie. So 2024 is treating you well so far, yeah, is, what, is what it's you're totally saying. Fun. That's that's the upshot. Yeah, all good. Uh, well, you know, had a great time last week talking about 2023 I think I'm gonna have an even better time talking about 2024 are you sure about that I mean we'll see it uh it depends on you in large part why and your contribution to this conversation I, I I mean why I mean you could really tank this whole thing I mean that's what happens every week <laughs> I'm the wild card in this podcast. We all know this. (laughs) Uh, Have a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. Yeah, so 2024 trends. The things we think are going to be big. Now, the most... In politics. In politics, yes. In news. Although, fashion tip, brown is going to be huge this year. So, I know you don't come for this information, (laughs) but uh, I have it on good authority that brown is going to be huge. So stock up on a brown pants, brown jacket. Specifically jackets. camel. Yeah, camel. Camel's going uh, to be big. So already this episode has been worthwhile. Yep. Um, uh, but in the area of politics news, I mean, obviously uh, the American landscape uh, is going to be dominated by 2024, it the sure presidential is. election. Yep. Uh, and so we don't want to spend the whole episode talking about that. What I will say is, uh, we're, I think when this airs, it'll be nine days until the Iowa caucus. That's right. It's very soon. January 15th. Uh, and then eight days after that, I think, uh, New Hampshire. Mm hmm. Um, or maybe it's, maybe it's just a week, uh, and then, uh, and then you know, I think we'll have a pretty good picture of, of the race after those two dates. Nikki Haley is hoping it'll be down to her and Trump. Uh, I guess Ron DeSantis is hoping it'll be down to him and Trump. And really what that will require are the same, I think, are the same two candidates finishing in the top two. Um, it will require... You know, Trump and Haley or Trump and DeSantis coming in the top two in both Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, or else, I think Haley and DeSantis will stick it out until who knows when. Um, but but that is, that is going to be a big deal. We're, we're seeing Donald Trump do more on the campaign trail. We're seeing uh, Nikki Haley and DeSantis start critiquing Trump much more directly. There were a couple of back-to-back CNN town halls this week in which uh, DeSantis made the argument that uh, Trump is not pro-life. Haley uh, made some significant critiques of of Trump as well. Uh, Really interesting. I, I made the comment that I think both of them had hoped that the race would be down to just them and Trump by the time that they had to be making these kinds of direct criticisms, but time is running out. And so that they're, they're making the the best from their strategic point of view of, of what they, what they have. And we'll, 
you know, we'll see if it's enough. I was struck, and we'll talk about this a bit later, on, on January 6th, President Biden gave what uh, many are describing as the kickoff to his campaign, or, or certainly, you know, um, uh, uh, a table-setting speech on democracy on the anniversary of the events of January 6th, 2021. And we'll talk more about the speech and the issue of, of, of democracy later on. But I was struck, he, he explicitly called Donald Trump a loser. Yep. Uh, which for listeners of the pod, you'll know at the very beginning of this primary, I, I said and have maintained that the only issue that matters electorally uh, or, or, or the issue that will decide the primary uh, uh, electorally, the sort of first gate, is whether Republican primary voters view Donald Trump as a winner or as a loser. And unfortunately, it's you could make an argument. You know, DeSantis has said, you know, you can't trust Trump to win. Um, I, I don't think any of the Republican can, candidates has really prosecuted a case that Donald Trump is not a winner, that Donald Trump doesn't have an inside track, that Democrats are not afraid of Donald Trump. Um, uh, and I think the failure to do so will be a... Um, will likely have a lot to do with the outcome of this primary. Now, of course, one the other way, other than prosecuting an argument that Donald Trump is not a winner, uh, the other way to just make that argument without having to say anything uh, about it is to beat Donald Trump. But that uh, beating Donald Trump in one of the early states um, seems highly unlikely. Uh, I think the, the state with the you know, I think if things, if the stars align for Haley, it's possible she can defeat him in South Carolina if momentum really builds. But, you know, so so in other words, I think the most likely scenario is that Trump gets a Super Tuesday having won all of the primaries before that. And, and so it only goes to support the idea that he's the winner, uh, that he's a winner. Um, Melissa, anything on the presidential election that you th that you think is sort of particularly noteworthy that we haven't really focused on, on, on in, pre in previous episodes? Well, we have one more debate before the Iowa caucuses. Trump will not join again. I, I mean, most likely will not join again. And so DeSantis and Haley will have a chance right before the caucuses to make another case. And then there are, you know, there are a couple more, what, debates scheduled mm -hmm. after that. And I've been wondering how are, what are these going to look like, especially with other, other candidates dropping out? Will Trump actually eventually join uh, and actually uh, face the other two in, in the debate, meaning uh, DeSantis and Haley, the other two that are challenging the, the most technically? And any of these early states before Super Tuesday, so I think that 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 could possibly be an interesting dynamic, especially for I mean, Michael, you're always talking about how you know a lot of voters aren't paying attention to the day-to-day -day politics, but when it comes down to the crunch time just before you know a vote is set to take place, a lot of folks might be tuning into these debates finally in order to you know suss out who who they like better. Um, and to see if, you know, is Trump, am I going with Trump my first choice or will I, you know, go with a second choice yeah. sort of thing. Um, I think the, I, I just think in 2024, looking ahead, the Biden team, I, I find that almost to be even more interesting than what is going on, on the Republican side, even though obviously I'm very concerned myself on the Republican side, how things will shake out and what Trump will end up doing and the things he's going to end up saying. And obviously if he continues to be the candidate that, you know, starts winning all of these primaries or caucuses that he will be the presumptive nominee and, you know, what else will come out from his campaign, but the Biden side is what I'm possibly more interested in. He just gave, we, we, we just passed January 6th and he gave a speech 
going after Trump, talking about January 6th, another big democracy speech, another speech that was centered around defending democracy, defending democratic ideals in the country. And so it, is that the sort of trajectory that the Biden team is going to be riding on until November? Or will this just sort of be the foundation they're laying? And then will they try to talk about the economy or other sort of flashpoint issues and sort of leave this as like a, we've covered the democracy thing, we're good. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, no, I, I think this is going to be obviously, you know, a through line. They're, they're, they're hoping that voters that maybe aren't happy with the economy, um, voters who are worried about Biden's age, that that democracy, and right, this is kind of, you know, to, and I do think it's very tricky, and we'll probably end up doing a full episode just on this debate. It's it's very it's very complicated, um, you know. De- democracy is also a, a way of talking about the ways in which the Biden campaign feels that Trump is beyond the pale. Uh, that that. The, the things that disqualify Trump uh, negate policy discussion, go beyond policy discussion. Biden basically said as much in the speech. He said, look, our politics is always, and you know, again, you, you, you can and sh- probably should question this framing. Uh, you know, he's like, our politics is always about, you know, those who want progress and those who are afraid of it, da, da, da. Uh, but, but he's like, but this is different. This is about this is about democracy. This is about um, you know whether we will have a a system in which we can we can reliably have these sorts of debates at all. Now look, they they have to walk a line here. I think the the real danger is that voters begin to get the impression uh, that uh, the democracy debate is actually being used to obscure and avoid policy policy debates and, and policy differences that the American people have, uh, you know, a portion of the American people have with the Biden administration. And so they need to be really careful to like, yes, this is both a very legitimate issue. Donald Trump is saying and doing and has done uh, uh, incredibly destructive and potentially criminal things uh, regarding our democracy and voting. And so just because that's become a divisive thing to say and the Trump campaign has done a lot of work to make that a political statement, you can't not say it, um, but I think there's a threshold at which uh, the the electorate decides. Yes, that's an issue, but what about what about these? Uh, what about these other issues? I, I just to raise one thing, you know, Biden raised book banning. Uh, in the Valley Forge. Uh, oh, and, and this speech on January 6th was at Valley Forge, mm-hmm. which is a whole other interesting thing. I mean, not to go off down a rabbit trail, but I mean, you read the opening of the speech and it's it's like, uh, you know, he's talking about George Washington and and the vision, uh, you know, the, the glories of what Washington fought for, all this stuff that... Um, Seems like such a throwback and, yeah. and almost like an impossibility given where progressive discourse has been over the last, mm-hmm. you know, six, eight years. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that's something 
that has to be reconciled at some point. Okay, so like what are, and Biden made some comments later that of course, you know, things aren't perfect. Well, we, we, we've, we've not lived up to our values, but we've, he has this line that says, we've not lived up to our values, but um, we've never turned away from them or so, you know, it's like, it's like they're trying to square, <laughs> you know, uh, square something that, uh, they're trying to still tell a hopeful story about American ideals uh, 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 while also appeasing sort of some of the historical revisioning and recasting that's happened in academic circles, elite circles, progressive circles. And like at, I think at, I think for some voters, it's going to be going to be confounding and, and maybe even seem seem disingenuous. Biden is perhaps the only Democratic uh, figure who could get away with it, though. Yeah. For a whole number of reasons. Agreed. Um, so, 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 yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack in the democracy debate. Uh, I was going to say something about the book banning thing. So let me just... Yeah, please Let do. me just wrap that up. Um, and I think it's a good example, right? So, you know... Biden says, who who would have thought that in, would you have ever thought that in 2024 we'd be talking about book banning? And like, that's all they say. And uh, it, it to me, it's just such, the whole book banning conversation has been such um, an intentionally misleading conversation from both sides, of course, but in a speech about if you're going to give a speech about having honest debate, if you're going to have a speech about the importance of democracy and like settling out our differences, um, you know, I think it's important to say that we're talking about largely we're talking about we're talking about banning books in elementary and middle school public school libraries, not even public libraries, school libraries, like. Uh, I I am not aware of legislation to ban access like you can't you can't buy a, a book on Amazon or you you know we're, we're, and so to give a speech that mentions uh, fascism mentions uh, insur uh, I mean is about insurrection and then to throw in book banning right the the, the point is to allude to like Nazis and totalitarian regimes, which Biden also talked about. But that's not really the, like if we're honest, that's not the book, the book debate that's been taking place in this country. And I, 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 think, I think the Biden campaign has to watch how far they push this messaging when Biden has a record to defend and there's serious discomfort with his presidency and with the state of the country right now. They need to be really careful that they're not making voters feel like they're trying to argue that if you don't vote for Biden, uh, you support fascist book banning when, when that's really not, again, if we're being honest, that's really not what we're talking about. So that's going to be very interesting to see how the Biden administration prosecutes a, a prosecutes a campaign against a candidate who is abnormal in the scope of like American history this is going to be we've never had a candidate with indictments running to be president right we've never had a candidate whose even a, ability to be on the ballot is going to be in front of the Supreme Court yes. under article 3 that's that literally never the Supreme Court has not had a decision on the section of the Constitution mm -hmm. that they're going to have to decide on. Uh, so it is an abnormal situation. And I know people will scoff at that, uh, scoff at this, but you can only push that so far. <laughs> and, and part of the reason for that is that we do have a democracy. Uh, voters do and ought to have the right to make a choice, not just about rejecting one candidate, but about supporting the other. And so it'll be very interesting to see how he how he walks those lines. Yeah, it honestly felt like 
um, chum for the bass, meat or chum, uh, just because it was just such a. It's one of those lines where it felt like for certain viewers at the home, book banning stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, referring, yeah, yes. sorry for referring to the book banning. It felt like chum. Oh, one hundred percent. And there were there were some lines that were like that, and then there were others. Um, it, it, here, and I I tweeted this earlier earlier today. What was most interesting and eye catching to me about the speech, which generally I thought was a I thought was a pretty good speech. Um, I think there's been a lot of punditry about, oh, you know, these indictments of Trump, they only seem to help him. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. the trickle of news only seems to help him. Like Cassidy Hutchinson came out and, and did a MSNBC in 60 minutes hit and Trump's numbers didn't take, didn't drop. So, you know, anything bad about Trump, it only leads his voters to double down. Yeah, It's possible that that's what happens. It's possible we see this campaign unfold and like the more the case is made about January 6th, about Trump's presidency, about all of Trump's cabinet officials that now oppose him, uh, uh, like it's possible that that that's right. My view is that we actually haven't seen it tested and we haven't seen it tested for a number of reasons. Uh, One is so many of people... Well, really, all of the people doing the punditry pay much more attention to politics than the people, yes. than the average person in the service. And so, you, you know, we're seeing indictments get handed down and we're like, oh, this has to affect the polls. Uh, people aren't following <laughs> Trump's legal travails as closely as those of us who pay, t- pay attention to the news are. Uh, uh, the other thing is that a lot of Trump's voters are watching media that do a great deal to try and insulate Trump and try to dismiss these this this sort of trickle of news so they they have that they have you know they they undermine the credibility of a Cassidy Hutchinson they undermine well it was it was uh that you know it was uh it was a liberal court that you know decided against Trump here what I really took away from Biden's speech is, oh, with the exception perhaps of the January 6th committee hearings, this is the first time that I've seen all of this, all of Trump's travails, everything about January 6th in one place. Mm-hmm. And that's what a campaign is for. That This is why I've been so insistent that all of the judgment and castigation of Republican primary voters that, oh, you know, they'll stick by, stick by Trump. They, 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 you know, they're, they're addicted to, um, you know, how, um, you know, they're addicted to his shenanigans and they're addicted to what, a uh, the kind of person he is. We, we honestly don't know until some votes are cast. So like it it won't be too much longer. I promise uh if if uh folks want to make moral judgments which I which I would really caution against even after votes take place, people vote for a lot of different reasons. But like let's at least let voters have a say. Uh and uh one of the things that will happen before they vote both in the Republican primary and certainly in the general and we saw in these CNN town halls, I expect to see a bit of it in the debate on January 10th, is both Republicans and Biden are going to be making their final, well, in the case of the GOP primary, they're going to be making their final cases, and Biden is going to actually start campaigning. um, Yes. Which is going to have a a big effect. Yes. So speaking of voting, speaking of January 6th, I think the other two, just to sort of wrap up the... The 2024 election conversation, the things that we're looking at, uh, the two, the other two glaring things that uh, is political violence. Yeah. Um, is there? No, I'm not talking about it. Will there be yet another January 6? I'm not even talking about something that big, but just here and there um, with these primaries happening, and not just um, leading up to the general, but looking at political violence. In, in this country, it's not something that in past elections I feel like I would have been. Th- 
thinking about very readily, but I am this year with this one. And then free and fair elections, um, not just them happening, but the perceptions of the elections and uh, each of these primaries, how they go down, how they're talked about, um, social media, disinformation on social media, how it happens. That's going to be another area where I'm going to be really looking at it this this 2024 election where maybe even in 2020 I wasn't really thinking about it until you know the November general came along. Yes, I think both are very good. <laughs> Unfortunately, things we need to have uh, in mind when we think about 2024. I mean, I'll go a bit of a I'll go a step further and say, uh, I, I think worse than what we saw on January 6th is uh, possible. I do too, but um, <laughs> I didn't want to go that. Yeah. But yeah, you did, and I it's it's in my head too. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yes, I'm, I'm tremendously concerned about about political violence, um, and you know. Yeah, and we, we have 10 months until the general election. Yep. And I felt something change even just with the new year. As I'm watching social media chatter as I'm seeing some of the vitriol from yes. from folks uh, talking about an election that doesn't take place for 10 months. Yes. Um, and that's why I'm that thinking... That can... Yeah. The pressure can build pretty intensely uh, over the course of 10 months. I agree. And that's why I mentioned just the primaries. When in, Again, I feel like I would be thinking about a lot of these things just with a general election. But at this point, I feel like the pressure with um, this country over the past like 8 to 10 years, that the pressure has just been building so much that um, I do worry a bit about even before we get to the general um and if not, then the pressure that does build all the way up in the next 10 months, um, especially because the the various social media platforms that you can be on now that just, just manufacture and trade in some of the just grossest things you've ever seen. And, and, and look, Trump thought that he could swing through sheer force of will an election in which, you know, nearly 200 million Americans voted. Yeah. What, what happens? And right, we didn't even really see this in 2016. After New Hampshire, Trump basically ran away with the election, with the primary, with the nomination. Yep. What happens if he starts to feel like, oh, I made a mistake? not engaging earlier like what happens if nikki haley comes in second in iowa comes in comes in uh comes in a a close second or first in new hampshire and wins her home state Mm -hmm. um you, you know there are these caucus states where you know some of these states you only have a hundred thousand people voting yes um Yes, it, it it can be a it can be a um, it, like there there's potential. Obviously, hoping for safe and uh, uh, fair and free elections. I'm I'm hoping that no matter who wins, that it's peaceful. I, I am, um, but but given what we've seen in this country and and what we know about some of the forces at play, uh, uh, political violence is is. Something we need to be cognizant of uh, uh, on voting rights, and really on, on political violence. On, on, you know, I will say, in the philanthropic space, nonprofits, um, there's a lot of good work going on uh, to try to plan and prepare uh, for. Uh, you know, election shenanigans. Yes. Uh, and uh, to try to keep the lid on things like political violence. Um, I'm a big fan of the work of Protect Democracy. 
um, and, and but there are an array of of organizations and leaders that have been thinking about this for um, you know basically since 2020. And so, yeah. so th there is some infrastructure in place. I think what everyone who's in the civic uh, space is is thinking about uh, and trying to be honest about is, you know, has there been enough? <laughs> you know, has there right. been enough work? Yeah. Yes. So let's let's end our twenty twenty four conversation there and uh, election wise. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and we want to just talk about maybe a few policy areas that we see sort of um, popping off or becoming more salient or, or moving you know like um, policy moving forward yeah, yeah policy moving forward yes in a couple of cases so the first one that i very first one that jumped into my mind that i thought maybe in 2023 we'd see more movement on but then congress was messier than usual yeah. was immigration yep. uh comprehensive immigration form reform sorry and that's because with uh, the at the border we have a numbers of uh, folks seeking asylum just skyrocketing over the past couple of months, and a lot of the states at the border uh, sort of crying out for um, help from the federal government, and then Congress sort of you know trying to eke in here and there on these budget talks, you know, you know, funding the border here or, or you know putting something in for a part of immigration reform there. Uh, do you see any kind of opening, in an, especially in an election, a general election year, for there to be a single policy push in, in Congress? Or do you think it could be bite-sized or is nothing going to happen? Well, so the talk as we headed toward the end of last year was that the Biden administration was ready to give quite a bit. Yes, I remember those conversations. If... if um, and and some people even thought they were hoping Congress would give them the opportunity to give in. Yep. Um, just the chatter over the last week, week and a half, leads me to think that Republicans in Congress don't want to give Biden the ability to say yeah. that he was reasonable on immigration. Yep. Uh, and so... In the House, in particular, so there there have been negotiations in the in the Senate. Some of those have been productive in terms of moving policy forward. I, I won't speak to the, you know, w whether I, I I think the agreements are, are are good ones. But on the House side, um, uh, House Republicans have not been too eager, from what I've seen. They haven't been putting something concrete in front of the president and forcing him to make a decision, which makes which leads me to think uh, that that there is um, that there is some second guessing about whether they want to give Biden an opportunity to to reach that kind of agreement. Now, this is all behind the scenes talk, so maybe. You know, we're going to see how this plays out. Maybe House Republicans just want to see how far Senate Republicans can go. Yeah. Um, uh, before sort of showing their cards. That, that'll be the pathway, though. Congress will have to... Um, at least that's what I think. I think the Biden White House wants something to be put on their doorstep. That then they could either say yes or no to... And everything I've seen, and I, I certainly get the electoral politics of this, that they'd like to get to a yes. Like if, if, if President Biden could sign something that had Republican support on immigration, I think even with their hesitancies about the policy implications, there's an electoral incentive there. Not to mention that they're starting to get pressure from Democrats themselves. Yes. And not just like border state Democrats. Um, uh, Senator Fetterman was right. saying just this week that uh, it's it's a crisis on the border. He didn't see how anyone could say that there's not a crisis at the border. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, especially Democrats who are up for re-election, uh, once that builds, does that lead towards towards some kind of policy move? 
I think the last thing I'd say, Melissa, is what I don't expect is a comprehensive immigration bill at the scale of like the McCain efforts, yeah. and, you mm-hmm. know, like, so I don't think policy that big is going to move forward. Certainly not in an election year. I think what we're talking about when, when we're talking about comprehensive in this context, it's some, some kind of either bill or as you alluded to, you know, is it just something that's squeezed into an appropriations yes. bill that covers both, um, providing, um, you know, expanding asylum, providing yeah. something on the le- on the legality side, on the immigration side, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, letting folks in um, or or citizenship, dreamers, etc. Or uh, oh, and uh, you know, more robust border security. Yeah, and and that's what folks have their eye on. Uh, again, I think. The Biden campaign would love to be able to say that they were a part of a bipartisan agreement that increased border security uh, and then match that up against all of Trump's big promises on immigration yes. that he didn't really deliver on. So Present that, that, that is the contrast that, that they're looking for electorally. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry, just one more comment on this, which is if this did happen, it the there will be a lot of concern in the aftermath stoked by progressive immigration advocacy groups that uh the deal um is costing biden his base quote unquote yes and that he just lost the election by making this deal and like it will be it'll, there will be an it will be ugly on the progressive side of things and so if some kind of immigration policy is going to move forward the Biden White House is going to want it to happen in like the first quarter of this year so yes. that they could have some time to to um to uh, to, to to do constituency work and and try and try and you know, reset things. Um, you know, once we get into into the summer, no policies moving forward. No one's going to want to upset the apple cart. At least I don't, I don't think so. No, exactly, and especially when um, the other two issues. When we talk about things possibly moving along, we've got Israel, and Gaza, and then Ukraine. And you know, the Biden team would hope that anything on immigration would be pushed forward in the first quarter because a lot of the progress, a lot of the progressives in that part of the base are upset over the fact that Congress has failed to continue to give funding to Ukraine. It's been getting stuck, um, especially in um, it, with all the budget talks. Um, the Biden team has you know continually requested you know over a lot of money for more arms for Ukraine and aid to Ukraine. And they have not received anything new. Meanwhile, Russia has, you know, started even bigger offenses. I mean, you know, Israel and Ukraine could definitely be a thorn in the Biden team's side on the progressive side. Um, You know, if they can get funding to Ukraine and especially if they can get Russia to finally come to the table for negotiations this year, that any one of these, Israel or Ukraine, where we can find a way where the fighting has stopped, the Biden team will obviously greatly benefit from either of those things. So those are two foreign policy cards that I think are huge in this election. Um, and it's huge for Republicans, too, in terms of the narratives and the, uh, the other sorts of policy things that they can be talking about on their side. And the third sort of player in this sort of foreign policy game is, and we talked about this briefly last week, is China and Taiwan. Uh, we've been hearing now chatter for the past year that China could start as early as 2024, 20, especially after Taiwan's elections that are coming up very, very soon, um, it, any kind of sort of invasion of Taiwan. There's been a lot of chatter over the past year that this might not be a 2025, 2026 thing, but could come even sooner. Um, and so China could suddenly become the sort of third thorn in the Biden administration side when it comes to foreign policy. And so those three areas, you and I are always heavily watching. Um, 
in terms of what is going on with the conflicts themselves, but also um, how Congress is handling them and then the Biden team themselves. Uh, and then finally, the, the final sort of policy or um, honestly, the legal, the legal side of government is SCOTUS and SCOTUS decisions. Now, the SCOTUS decision that is, um, could, I mean, should be coming up in 2024 because they said that last month, I think that they would take it up, um, is that Trump has been taken off of the ballot in Colorado and Maine and there are what 29 other states in which there could be similar or there are similar decisions being made and so section 3 as you alluded to Michael of the 14th amendment the supreme court will have to make is it truly its first decision on that amendment in a case yes that's that's right it's uh like this area of the law is unsettled because it's uh, not really been tread on <laughs> um, before, <laughs> um, and so so uh, that's part of what makes so much of this uncertain. It's part of why you're able to see such a broad scope of opinions from people who know the law because yeah. they don't have a ton to work with other than the language. The, the, the text of, of of the Constitution. Yeah, so Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Yeah, and thanks, uh, just uh, I think I, I misspoke instead of saying Section 3, I, I, I referred to Article 3. Yes. It, uh, where, uh, these cases are under, uh, uh, there, there's a, there have been a lot of rulings related to Article 3. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're referring, uh, these cases uh, involve invoking Section three of the Fourteenth Amendment. So it disqualifies anyone from serving in a in a range of federal and state offices if they have taken an oath of office to protect the Constitution and then they engaged in insurrection or rebellion. So that's that's the key there. Where Colorado, Maine have obviously made the decisions that yes, Trump did participate, but obviously there are plenty of people who say he didn't participate in that at all. Well, right. So there are. I mean, and I we won't. Uh, you know, I think there, there's been a lot of good writing and sort of legal podcasts who have spent, you know, yes. a full podcast, uh, you know, episode and, and articles going in. But, but basically two of the main issues here are uh, there, there are those who say that offices does not refer to elected office um, and, and that certainly whether it applies to the presidency is a big question right. because uh the, the, um, and, and some of these arguments strike me as a little more, uh, you know, stretching it than others. But people say, well, the, the it, it refers to the oath that they take, and, and the oath of the presidency is is different than is 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 the exact language is is not sort of the same. The other thing people say is, yeah. The, there's a lot of debate about what office means. Um, and then, and then, oh, this yeah, is why oh, I did not become yeah. a lawyer, man. And then the second uh, sort of point of uh, real disagreement here is uh, do you have to be found guilty? Like, do you have to, who, who is, um, do you have to be found guilty separately? of insurrection in order for this to apply or can the same body uh, that is removing you from the ballot also say you're guilty of insurrection you know like it like is it a criminal distinction or is it a political one that political bodies can invoke and sort of uh, and 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 then on that basis Tap into Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment and remove uh, uh, remove uh, a candidate, in this case a presidential candidate, off the ballot. The Supreme Court, it looks like, uh, is going to is going to take this question up. The other thing, Melissa, and I'll say, I think this will be a theme for twenty twenty four. Okay, is the the sort of the, the political and norms debate 
around around Donald Trump and how to deal uh, with with him. Yes. You know, if what does it mean as you're making a case that democracy is on the ballot? Um, that you're also working to remove Donald Trump from the ballot. I've been thinking about this since I saw the news of Colorado and Maine come down over the last month. And now, now there, there's one, there's one side that says if Trump violated the the law, if Trump can be held accountable by the law, and we don't do it because we're afraid of how. Uh, he will react or voters will react, then we've already given up on the rule of law. That's like one, that's one, that's one side of things. Uh, the, 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 other, the other side is, you know, if, if you are in any way seen as taking the will of the electorate and taking the decision about who's president out of the electorate's hands by means which are questionable, that are even debatable within the law, then uh, you're only, then, then you're, potentially further uh, leading to the further diminishment of respect for institutions, for the, for the political process uh, and for the rule of law. Uh, and that's a debate that we're going to see play out. And it plays out both in the legal context. It also plays out just in terms of like, what kinds of arguments should you make against Donald Trump. Um, are there true things about Donald Trump that you shouldn't say uh, for reasons of reducing polarization, for reasons of, uh, for, for, for reasons of, you know, um, reducing, reducing sort of, uh, uh, division for reasons of not giving Trump ammunition or are any of those sort of practical decisions based on sort of a real politic of like this is what we're dealing with are, are those concessions to you know uh, Trump's uh, lack of respect for norms are, are you are you are you actually leading uh, like playing into his hands? Uh, by by not saying true things, by not sort of uh, applying the law to him, and so that's gonna be that's gonna be a huge debate, and you're gonna hear this debate in like 18 different iterations based on different things that happen um, uh, over over the next 10 months. Yeah, I mean this particular issue um, when we're talking about one of the biggest pillars of a representative democracy, you know, being its elections. And since this comes down to being an election issue and not just a legal issue, the politicization of everything, you see that coming home to roost in the worst of ways with this particular issue. Yes. Because of the fact that um, people have politicized uh, the legality of all kinds of things over the past like 10 years that should not have been politicized in many ways so that it eroded trust uh, in the sort of legal decisions, the judges, the various courts, and the Supreme Court has become even more politicized uh, to the point where you have a lot of people who don't quite trust it as well, and especially with the accountability issue over the past year sort of coming to a head as well with various justices, that you hear you hear people like us and others who talk about the politicization of everything and how it's not good but this is a particular issue where you know if somebody committed something you want them to be held accountable and you don't want them to be the uh, the most powerful leader of our entire country 
but it's going to be so hard again like you're saying 18 we're going to hear like 18 different iterations of this because of the fact that we don't have precedent on this particular legal issue in the first place plus the politicization that it's just going to be oh it's just going to be such a mess yeah and the erosion of trust is is well and you get a real sense for how these things sort of spiral so right like at each step along the path to where we are now people have made decisions that have said well I'm going to do this because it's necessary in the short term, but I'll I'll know when to say stop. Like, I'll know when to rein it in. I'll know when, you know. So um, what we need to learn is, is that just life does not work that way. It, it, you know, like... Think about this in the context of, of sin, which actually is more apropos than uh, than maybe you think. But like, the, the, think about it in this. It, it, it's like saying, "Look, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sin here at this instance because I really need to." But then I'll be able to like cut off the spigot. But like we know, just as Christians, that sin doesn't work that way. And so extrapolate that out to a body politic. <laughs> extrapolate that out to institutions and you start to really get a sense of uh, the real sorry state we're in. And unfortunately, I have to say, like we're still not, there's further down we can go. And the, the trend line isn't going to change <laughs> unless... We start making different decisions in the short term and stop using short-term difficulties to say, well, you know, these are certain times. We need to prevent this from happening. We need to, we need to make this happen. And once we get to 2025, then that's when we'll, that's when we'll act how we really want to act. But right now we need to we're in a state of emergency. Uh, so, but Melissa, speaking of state of emergencies, <laughs> I believe we ended last week's episode saying that we were going to be super hopeful on this one. <laughs> uh, and so far we failed. We, yeah, epic fail. Uh, I am wondering... How do we bring this back, Michael? Well, so I want to talk a little bit about culture in 2024, but maybe before that, maybe we could both... Again, sort of as we were thinking about 2024, we've covered the topics that we actually plan to talk about. But now I'm going to ask you sort of ad hoc, Melissa, uh, what's in the political and policy uh, uh, arena are you hopeful about in, in 2024? <laughs> you asked me that, my mind immediately went blank. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's what I'll say. I am a eternal optimist regarding the possibility of change in politics. And I think elections and campaign seasons are catalytic moments where realignment is possible, where new ideas surprisingly find a coalition to back them and rise to the surface uh, where you actually see political ideas and pressures that have been sort of building in between elections. You actually see certain ones pierce through because of the catalyzing nature of elections. And so I, I don't know that at this point I'd venture, oh, like this issue is going to have a major breakthrough in a positive way. I'm, I'm not sure I have a prediction like that, though I think on a previous episode we, we've talked about the fact that, you know, there's some interesting conversations happening right now between a sort of populist, worker-friendly right and... Uh, and uh, sort of heterodox, uh, you know, uh, 
Democrat, heterodox wing of the Democratic Party. Um, and so, like, that's that's one area to watch. But I, I think just the, the possibility of possibilities that election years provide are, are something that I'm, I'm hopeful about. Um, uh, not that I think it's going to turn out great, but that there's the potential, there's the possibility that good things emerge out of it. So, so that's, that's what I'd say, uh, in, in, in the, in the policy, in the policy space. Melissa, is your, is, is your mind still a blank? I I mean, the only, on, I'm looking forward to inflation calming down even more for the fed to be lowering rates for it, for the economy to finally feel like it's getting out of the red zone and for hopefully at least more than a handful of folks feeling the pressure lifted off of them. Um, and therefore a lot of the nonprofits working with, uh, just, you know, service delivery for the poorest, you know, maybe get a little bit of a break too, because the economy, the in- inflation is doing a lot better. So like, I- I'm looking forward to that, but that's not something that, you know, that's the fed that's on the fed. That's not even on like the Biden administration. No, or Congress. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah, I do think there are a lot of people hoping to see interest rates, uh, get, get dropped next year. Um, Melissa, let's talk a bit about cult. We've already talked fashion. I'm uh, if I'm sure if I went on uh, <laughs> the the fashion sites, you know, the clothing store websites now that we'd see Brown has already been bought up because I I'm a I'm a trendsetter. I, that's what I do. I say things in the fashion space and they happen. Um, but uh, other than fashion. I'll say a book I'm looking forward to, Vincent Cunningham's Great Expectations. I'm so excited for this book. Vincent, wonderful, wonderful writer who's written, uh, has been at the New Yorker, um, has written some incredible essays uh, on private schools, on politics, been writing about the arts for the last, I think, at least like year and a half, two years. Um, he has a book coming out. Get this, Melissa. It's about a young campaign staffer who works for a fresh-faced United States Senator's presidential campaign. Uh, uh, here, here's from the, you know, the the book notes here. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew. Uh, says later on, meditating on politics and politicians, religion and preachers, fathers and family, great expectations is both an emotionally resonant coming-of-age story and a rich novel of ideas marking the arrival of a major new writer. Uh, I'm pumped for this book. Uh, I've pre-ordered it, and uh, uh, I, I think it's it's going to be a good one. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to Dune Part 2. Dune Part 2, absolutely. It comes out March 1st, and I am ready. Yes. We, I've been so ready. Because they pushed it back, right? They pushed it back, yep. I mean, a lot of movies were pushed back, right. I think, now, and that we'll be seeing in 2024. In just a few days, The Book of Clarence will come out, which looks interesting. Uh, mean Girls, the musical is coming out in a few days. <laughs> um, but then at the end of the year, another musical made into a movie is going to come out, Wicked, which I know is beloved to a lot of people and a lot of our listeners. I know every song from that musical because of the choir we were in, but I have never seen the musical. Now, Ari's in it, right? Yes, Ariana Grande. Is yeah. It? yeah. She uh, plays uh, Gl- Glinda? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. The Good, w- the good Witch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it's going to be... Yeah, that, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. We, um, uh, I saw the original production on Broadway when we went to New York with uh, the show choir. Uh, <laughs> I did not. Kristen so. Chenoweth, Idina Menzel. I mean, it was... Adele Dazeem. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that's probably too inside joke, but uh, John Travolta, thank you for that one. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think there will be some... Uh, there are already some good cultural uh, sort of uh, uh, cultural artifacts that I'm, I'm looking forward Dune to. Dune Part Two will Dune Part Two will be my Roman Empire for the year. Yes, no, it, it, I'm, I'm so I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, 
And then, of course, and you won't have to wait long, but the spirit of our politics comes out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just over two weeks. It's incredible, Michael. I can't. It's, so excited. It's been, it's been a long time coming. Um, release an excerpt. Yeah, from, your very first excerpt is released. From the book on the Substack. So wanted wanted, subs, uh, wanted Substack subscribers to get first real look at the book. So you can go to whereweare.substack.com and read that excerpt. Um, it's on the disappearance of moral knowledge. On the disappearance of moral knowledge. Uh, and I hope it will lead you to pre-order, uh, pre-order the book. I will say something uh, wild happened uh, today, which is that uh, Dallas Willard's daughter uh, posted about the book, which I was thrilled about. I think that's the only review I need. Um, no, actually, please, please leave uh, Amazon reviews because it helps sell books. But I was very happy to see I Becky. Know. Yeah, it was so nice. Uh, post that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, excited. I can't believe it's just uh, 16 days away. Amazing. Let's end it there. Let's end it there. Some positive notes for you to end on. Yes, yes, yes. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to Where We Are. Bye.